Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Negotiation. In this episode, we welcome back Charles Lavoie, VP of Marketing and Head of Creative Labs at WPIC Marketing and Technologies, a firm that is dual headquartered in Beijing and Vancouver that drives online revenue for global brands in China, Japan, and Southeast Asia through data, analytics, e-commerce solutions, essential support services, and more. Charles shares his insights on how technology is transforming the creative space in APAC. He talks about how brands and marketers can harness these changes to improve their creativity, marketing, and sales performance, and how WPIC is supercharging those efforts through their new creation, Creative Labs. We also discuss the democratization of content creation, social commerce strategies, the adoption of live stream globally, gamification of the purchasing experience, and much more. Enjoy. Consumers in China are extremely demanding. And when it says demanding is they're really not only buying products anymore, they're really looking as a shopping journey, as a experience, almost as entertainment, right? So if you only put a product out there uh, without kind of the gamification factor around that product, it will lose interest. It will kind of lose itself. So we need to constantly kind of reinvent not only what we sell, but how we sell it, whether it's lucky draw, specific packaging, collaborations, contests, it kind of needs to always be a little bit gamified and always kind of an experience. So, you know, there's been great concepts like blind box that arise in China because of that gamification around basically sales and product selling and e-commerce. So all of that makes it that, you know, with the same product over and over, you need to really reinvent the way you're, you're selling and telling that story over time to grab the consumer attention because that's what they're expecting. Home to over 4 billion people, the Asia-Pacific region boasts one of the most powerful consumer markets on the planet. Not only is it home to half of the world's under 30 population, but it's also home to more than half the world's internet users. It's a market that no globally-minded organization should ignore. But entering markets like China, Japan, or Southeast Asia is no easy task. Just ask the likes of Microsoft, Google, Uber, and Facebook. However, times are changing, and with the right partners, doors are slowly opening as more and more companies find success growing their key markets in APAC. I myself spent eight years in China, mostly as a venture capitalist, helping early-stage tech companies grow in the Asia-Pacific market successfully. This show is dedicated to uncovering and examining successful Asia market entry and growth strategies by interviewing the experts who've done it before and truly understand what it takes to be successful in the region. My name is Todd Embley, and welcome to The Negotiation. Brought to you by WPIC Marketing and Technologies. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Negotiation. My name is Todd Embley, and I am your host. And I'm pleased to be joined by Charles Lavoie, VP of Creative at WPIC and the head of WPIC Creative Labs. Charles, welcome to the show. Thank you, Todd. Good to see you again with the camera this time. Good to be back on the show. I said welcome to the show. I maybe should have said welcome back to the show because we've had you on before. And we're going to get to that in a minute. But first, tell everybody where in the world are you that you're recording from today? I'm in Quebec. Quebec is my home. I'm uh, east coast of Canada. So, yeah, just at home here. Now, okay, Quebec is a pretty big province, bigger than most European countries, I'd say. Where in Quebec are you? I'm down, near downtown Quebec City. So uh, Okay, uh, so... Quebec, yeah. Quebec City. It's like, Quebec, for those who don't know, yeah. it's like New York, New York. Uh, <laughs> Quebec City, Quebec. All right, excellent. Thank you. Um, now, for those who might have missed that 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 first episode that you were on that I mentioned, tell everybody uh, who are you and what what is the work that you do. 
Yeah, so I'm Charles and I've been basically working in China, Asia for most of the last 10 years, uh, physically since 2010 to 2020, and then mostly remotely over the last two years. So what I've been doing was, uh, you know, over the last 10 years, basically growing and building brands in China, uh, working on kind of some of my own brands, own projects and consulting for well over 150 brands like across portfolio and industry, kind of half and half with global brands and Chinese brands uh, on everything, branding, creative content production, marketing, uh, brand localization. So that's been my background. And then two years ago, I joined WPIC as uh, we were, the company was ramping up on the creative uh, services offered by the company to kind of build and grow what we call now the creative labs at WPIC. Right. And that was in large part due to the fact that you were on the podcast. I'm pretty sure that it was because of the podcast that all of this came to be with WPC. I'm just kidding. Okay. You know, forget. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just messing with you. Uh, that was a big reason, big reason. Big right? part of it. Yeah. Sure. I tell you people come on this show and it launches their careers. Uh, it's, it's a great platform. Um, now you're going to be announcing a new evolution in creative labs. So please tell us a little bit about that. Unveil it for us here. Yeah, and really when we last spoke, you know, I was just starting and over the last two years, we've really grown uh, not only in terms of headcounts to like now 65 people just as part of the unit, but really in terms of skills and expertise. And one of the challenge being kind of a unit creative agency within a bigger organization was really about uh, showcasing our work and really bringing kind of all the work that we do in the big black box of China, Asia and kind of uh, making kind of our partners here on the other side of the world or in Canada, US, Europe, that we actually provide these services. So what this evolution is, is actually kind of a continuity, but more of a, a rebranding, right? To try to bring more shine towards all of the case study, all of the campaign that we've been working on. And really, if we talk about what is the Creative Labs and what it's become, and the way I kind of most simply put it is an extension of the marketing teams of our brand partners, right? So the way we've designed it is really to be able to cover 100% of the marketing needs that a brand might have in China and now in Asia. So it usually starts with branding, creative strategy type of work, and then evolve into advertising, PR, media planning, and then goes to social media management, evolving to social commerce. And finally, kind of everything production in studio format, content production, photography, video production, live stream production. So these are kind of the four key components that bring together. And these are organized and industry specific. So it covers pretty large, but ultimately what we're able to do is to really cover, you know, all the scope of a brand that has no team in Asia be able to work with us and deliver on great marketing plans. Mm, Awesome. Okay. Last time you were on the podcast, we had a brief discussion on the importance of creative work in Asia, right? So I'm wondering if you can just refresh our memories. I'm going to ask you again, why is it important for organizations who want to be successful in the region to really understand and work hard on their creative for that APAC region? I think because I'm speaking mostly here to to global brands, right? Western brands and creativity is important for for all brands in the region. One of the reality of 
Western brands arriving to Asia or China is that they arrive usually at a premium positioning, premium pricing level, right? Often their marketing budgets are more limited than some of the brands they're, comp- they're competing with. So really, when you're trying to position kind of higher premium positioning with lower marketing budget, that when creativity is really needed. The other big point is, and I'm going to focus on China for the rest of that answer, is that consumers in China are extremely demanding. And when it says demanding, is they're really not only buying products anymore, they're really looking as a shopping journey, as a, as a experience almost as entertainment, right? So if you only put a product out there uh, without kind of the gamification factor around that product, it will lose interest. It will kind of lose itself. So we need to constantly kind of reinvent not only what we sell, but how we sell it, whether it's lucky draw, specific packaging, collaborations, contests, uh, you know, you name it it kind of needs to always be a little bit gamified and always kind of an experience. So, you know, there's been great concepts like blind box that kind of uh, arise in China because of that gamification around uh, uh, basically sales and product selling and e-commerce. So all of that makes it that, you know, with the same product over and over, you need to really uh, reinvent the way you're, you're selling and telling that story over time to grab the consumer attention. Because that's what they're expecting, really. Yeah, a hundred percent. And it's it's been a while since we asked you that the first time, and I I I, I can't remember how we described it before, and juxtapose that with how you're describing it now. But could I ask you how might your thesis on the importance of creative work in Asia changed since the last time we spoke? Yeah, and I and I think since the last time we spoke, like two years ago, we covered when we talked quite a bit about uh, having creative in creativity in house versus uh, KOL collaborations and so on, right? So I think that's a point that's uh, definitely continue to be true and even uh, uh, you know gain an importance in the sense that uh, with uh, the KOL, the whole KOL economy. With brands having a um, basically the traditional KOL collaboration has been kind of uh, I'm gonna be very transactional. I'm gonna pay you that amount of money. I'm gonna see your products. You're gonna talk about it, right? And that's over the, the past few years with all kind of the economy uh, around D2C brand realizing that they needed to be profitable. That uh, the retention customer after a KOL was talking about their, pro- their products was not that high has really made uh, brands and the brands we work with, uh, you know, more disciplined on how they can keep the creativity in house. So really what's, what's been the most successful campaign that we've worked with was kind of co-creation, right? So inviting KOLs and influencers, still working with them, they're very, still very much important, but inviting them to be part of contests that you're creating, you're creating a certain topic, you're creating, uh, you know, um, uh, Inviting people to participate in a, to create a new recipe for a new food food and beverage product, you can invite KOL, you can invite their community. So make them make them come part of a campaign that you're planning. So ultimately, you can have more retention and you can have more direct engagement after that campaign is over. Uh, so I think that's something that continue to evolve in that directions where uh, you know we're seeing less and less of the, that transactional one time 
KOL collaboration and more of that uh, brand leveraging creativity, inviting their network, inviting their community of KOL to participate, and then ultimately retaining more of that community you know, over, the, over the time. I wanted to ask, has the creative environment changed in the past year and a half? But I feel like that kind of blends a little bit, you know, with the answer you you just gave. So I want to bring it a little bit differently. What do you think are the factors that are changing the creative environment? Is it maybe on the consumer side, the way they're consuming and the platforms that they're using? Um, maybe it's the way they're shopping. Maybe there's been a, uh, a new rules around uh, tech, privacy, payments, um, anything happening there, maybe new players in the game, maybe people have, maybe they have influencer fatigue, you know, like, I'm just curious, like, tell us maybe how you think it has changed, how the environment has changed, both maybe from a brand or a consumer side, and and what's, what's pushing these changes? Mm-hmm. I think there's three, like three main factors that I've seen evolving, right? One is on on this idea of democratization of content creation, right? So uh, when you see platforms like TikTok and Douyin, uh, Douyin being the TikTok in, in China, really making a dent into the market and really the growth number over since we last spoke has been really impressive in terms of just general engagement, but also social commerce. Uh, but what they've really been great at doing is providing tools for creators that makes it extremely easy for anyone to be able to become basically a creative director, become a content producer, and make really high quality production that is, uh, you know, creating basically stealing engagement from the big traditional media platform. So what happens is in terms of brand manager or, or creative director, if you're working on that market, your role is really changing from being a traditional creative director or brand manager to being kind of a co-producer, right? So really kind of have that collaboration mindset on uh, sharing that content creation, campaign creation uh, dynamics with them. The second part is definitely on, on the technology part. Um, you know, because I think all of the, like, basically these platforms, again, have really uh, figured out how um, consumers are, are behaving more and more, like the algorithm are getting more and more sophisticated. And uh, basically, um, <laughs> Basically, it's it. I'm gonna I'm gonna try summarize that in term of in term of format how people are spending their time, right? So I think 600 million people in China are spending like uh, more than two hours of t- a day on on Douyin or like the equivalent of Youku. So so really that that vid that video format video experience, whether it's recorded video or live stream, really became massively engagement like the conception of content. So, and that content is both for entertaining content, but for shop, shoppable, uh, Shopify-able content. So that really influenced how we get to introduce product to someone, right? Going away from a little bit that traditional uh, digital shelf kind of environment where you're shopping for a lot of product by pricing and so on to arriving into a feed where you're discovering product, products to 
a really video format. So that, that, that really changed the way you need to think about storytelling. You need to think about presenting your products. So I think that's, that's really kind of the big evolution that we've, uh, that we've been uh, seeing. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Uh, Charles, you're a segue machine, my friend. Uh, you are leading me into my questions brilliantly right now. Uh, this was not, <laughs> this was not scripted either, but you know, I wanted to move on to, uh, talking about how, um, and, and asking you about what's happening in the different markets in Asia in the retail space. Now, we hear a lot of chatter about the rise of Douyin um, as a, a, a creative uh, platform, uh, really, and and it's it's and it is structured differently, right? You know, if, if what you want to do on Douyin, it's giving people a lot, uh, I think, a a lot more room to run with their creative juices than maybe some of the other platforms, which is which is why people are kind of leaning on it more and more. Um, can you share a little bit about what's going on with the rise of Douyin and how it's impacting social commerce? Yeah, I think to to go back to the point I was trying to say, and one of the, of the analogy I'm trying to use often is like if we compare it to what we know uh, for many, many years, right? Uh, offline shopping. So think of the way I compare, let's say, Tmall or direct-to-commerce website versus Doyen. Let's say you enter into a store and you have shelf space with a ton of products, right? They will be presented to you in the same environment. You might have small description, but you ultimately kind of doing that product discovery by areas. If you go to the, you know, cosmetic section, you will see a lot of cosmetic and then you will uh, might touch and feel the products. So that's how kind of digital shelf traditional e-commerce work. Now on Douyin, on the video format, think about, think about it as each product might have its own little booth and its own little salesperson that can really kind of, you come in and they can really talk to you about the products on an individual basis. So the product kind of start to have less and less important how the story is presented, how like how engaging that person is will really ultimately determines whether you convert, whether you want to purchase that product, right? So that's what kind of the video format and Doyen really allows you to do is, you know, if you're a more niche brand and you might not be able to buy the top shelf space or to have the entering of the store, right? When you arrive in a store, well, you might be still be able to have a more creative little booth or little area or kind of have something engaging or have someone that is really an excellent salesperson to be able to present your product. Or you're just telling your story in a better way with a little bit more granular kind of approach to it. And then you're able to stand out because, you know, going to going back to my second point earlier was this idea of algorithm, right? Where on traditional digital shelf, you're kind of bidding a lot on space on keyword, right? There's some algorithm that will recommend products to you, but Douyin is much more focused still on organic recommendations. So what's, and that's what has made them successful and why people are spending a lot of time. They're really good at pushing content, whether it's commercial content or just entertainment content that is interesting to you. So if as a brand, you're able to figure out whether through your own content or through KOL collaboration, how to get on that feed, how to create that like two, two or three seconds initial interaction that translates into a 30 second story or into a five minute story. Then you're able to kind of convert them. You're able to really tell like your, your full story and educate the consumer about the product in a format that is really more difficult when you just have static images, text, and just that more kind of uh, 
widespread of like having a 10,000 10, chores on the shelf, right? Yeah, I think consumers like feeling they're not being sold to so ostensibly, so obviously, where in this case, it's really just engage with a brand uh, in a in a kind of non-sales kind of way, but build an attachment uh, or build an appreciation or at least have a feeling attached with with that brand. That's a, that's a better place uh, to do it. Um, it's fun. It's a great space. I'm jealous. Uh, you get to work in this space all the time. It sounds like a lot of fun. Um, can you share a little bit about why that this is becoming so important and how is it different than traditional e-commerce? Yeah, so I mean, it's becoming very important, I think, versus the amount of time that pe- people spend on it, right? So that's that's definitely a core factor, right? So you're in the attention economy, so wherever people spend time, that's where you want to be. Second, I mean, numbers don't really lie. Uh, and TikTok and social commerce works a little bit differently in, in the West than it does necessarily in, in China or maybe in Southeast Asia, but... Uh, let's again talk about China. Like Doyen has figured out how to keep people within the platform and have the transaction happening within the platform. Uh, the GMV numbers, I think it's uh, 80% of the growth on e-commerce last year in 2021 came from social commerce, came from Doyen itself, right? Uh, and then in, in kind of fast uh, moving consumer goods like like fashion or food and beverage, it's really catching up uh, quickly, I think they have 20% of market share in fashion right now uh, in terms of transactions, right? So obviously, that's where the product discovery happened, but that's, that's also more and more where the transaction happened. So obviously, as a, as a brand, you know, that's, that's the first high level. Why is it important? You know? And then secondly, I think, as I said, it's, it's newer, so it's a less competitive space. So it's really great for more niche brands that can enter that might not have the means to compete, you know, with the with the big uh, the big brands of this world. And so the cost of media tends to be uh, still slightly uh, lower. Uh, the power of creativity, power of storytelling, is still a little bit higher. So all of these factors make it kind of. Uh, a timing reason for timing reasons. It's a good place to enter now uh, while it's still a relatively new concept. Not, not everyone has figured it out. So I think it's, uh, it's important and it's also important to do it like earlier uh, than later. Okay. So I wanted to ask next, how can brands take advantage? Is that part of, is, is kind of being an early adopter an early entrant uh, and understanding this, you know, like, Having people like you on the team who know where the where things are going before they're you know before it's full red ocean and just extremely saturated um, is is really really beneficial. So uh, again, back to the question: How can brands take advantage of this? Yeah, so I, I mean, tactically, right? There is uh, like the the tool the toolbox is is pretty wide, but I think it goes through. Uh, Get, getting on there, it's, you know, good, good video content creation. So uh, short video, it doesn't have to be high production, but something that tells a story about your product in a good way, right? Collaborations with KOL, 
is important as well. They own a lot of the traffic. Uh, so, you know, co-creation with KOLs, understanding their styles and, and uh, like understanding your products and, and the audience and then kind of casting the right KOLs. That's important to get on there. For China uh, and uh, a lot of Asia, live streaming is becoming a big part, right? So I think there's uh, a statistics when I was talking to Dolly and team last, last week, uh, brands that run live stream every day sell an average like 10 times more uh, just because it creates a lot of educational content and people are kind of uh, spending a lot of time on it. And then uh, a lot of the transaction happened during the live, live stream. So that's another great tool. So running your own live stream as a brand, not, not only for a conversion purpose, but to try to really able to always be on top of mind and educate uh, the market about your products. And obviously there's, you know, some good advertising, advertising tool. I think, you know, Doyen has uh, more than five to 10 advertising tools. So, so these are all kind of figuring out the right playbook for each brand, depending on what type of product it is, what type of category. Uh, comes down to really uh, like a professional uh, marketing advice, but th- these are usually kind of the tool in the box that we can leverage uh, in in the doyen TikTok and kind of general social commerce environment. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's how they can take advantage. Um, let me ask you another several deviations from from the same topic kind of question of um, strategy. So what? does good social commerce strategy look like? And you can maybe almost tap into the work that you do, maybe at the beginning uh, on a fresh relationship with a new brand, a new customer that comes in who really wants some help. This is probably one of the first things that you're helping them understand. You know, I mean, you'll probably give them a lay of the land and you know, this is kind of what to expect, take away the sticker shock. And then let's dive into what a good social commerce strategy looks like before buying equipment, hiring KOLs, any of that kind of stuff. The strategy has to be pretty strong, I would imagine. So what does a good strategy look like? Well, ultimately, I I, I don't think uh, the social commerce strategy is very different from a general marketing strategy. But I think you really, really need to own in, as I said, like niche, like consumers, the people spending time on Douyin are being recommended or on other social channels are being recommended by the algorithm content that they like, right? So from that, you really need to understand, you know, and your consumer persona and what, you know, what type of content they're trying to, what type of content they might be interested in. And you can work actually, you know, with, with the Douyin team, with agency to back this up with data and so on. But really defining if you're a product you might have actually like i'm targeting chinese female 25 35 year old right so that's that's often what we see in marketing plan that are living in first year city right but like ultimately that's a demographic that encapsulate what 200 million people that you have psychographic that are very very niche within this and you need to understand okay what are the 20 niche that might be my, my, uh, my actual consumer targets among that, like, which are the one I want to prioritize. And then you understand that. And then you craft your story and then you develop video creation and you, uh, select your KOLs based on that focus, based on that, uh, based on that customer persona that you want to go after first, right. You might also do some testing, but it, 
I think it's overall, if I can summarize that, it's about being much more disciplined and granular about understanding like the daily behavior and daily interests of your consumer persona and then crafting the content, crafting the story for each individual's uh, behavior. And you can do that pretty uh, cost-effectively together with KOLs or with kind of different uh, video feeds that you target uh, with different advertising tools to different audience and so on. You cannot really have a, a good necessarily one-size-fit-all kind of uh, storytelling in that ecosystem. Is, is, uh, does budget uh, start to come into those strategy discussions early on of, of what it might take or what they need to commit to, uh, as well as regularity, like the rhythm? Like you said, if you're every day, you're getting 10x the volume of sales versus, I don't even know what that would be, versus of like once every few days. The, dra- the drop-off is drastic, right? So do, does this also, like when you, okay, so demographic, choose a point, take some hero products, let's start with them. Maybe let's not go after um, our, our lowest hanging fruit and our uh, where we really want to go all in, but we need to beta test some of the strategies and see what works. So let's hit some of these, you know, secondary customer um, segments first, just so that we can trial. Um, does all of this come into it too? Yeah, I mean, economically, uh, certainly, like, if we compare to setting up a traditional e-commerce uh, store or even, even a website, right? These are infrastructure that, are, that have fixed costs that are pretty high, right? So traditional e-commerce platforms have expectations in terms of resourcing and so on. So, so starting with social commerce typically allows you to really dip your feet into the water and do a little bit more of a testing test and learn approach at a lot more lean, a lot more approach, right? As, you, as I said, I mean, the example of having the full kind of daily live stream that might be like your goal, like, you know, a year down the road to two years down the road, but you can start with just, you know, a, a niche focused target audience, you know, once one, one or two video feed and and your feed per uh, per week or per month, and then running a few ads and then having a, a couple of KOL collaborations right for the first few months, and then you can have a good conversion uh, based on that, and then uh, compare you know what type of content, what type of niche do I get the best conversion, and then really kind of after that, craft your like six months to twelve months, and then three year strategy, which a, a lot more confidence and make your investment into the. Tr- like traditional e-commerce space as well uh, with a lot more confidence and a lot more knowledge about the market by having tested on social commerce first. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's expand the, uh, let's zoom out for a bit and look at some of the other markets. Do you see these type of channel shifts happening in other markets uh, outside of China? Well, I think, you know, for sure, social commerce, you know, people are, are spending more time on social. So it's happening across the globe. I think the region that is closer to China is probably Southeast Asia. A uh, couple of reasons behind that. You know, we also have a, a younger target, like a younger demographic across the region in general. Uh, so people are, you know, following a lot of like the trends that are happening in China. I think by not following the trends, but if I can rephrase that is like the technology is often coming a lot from China with Lazada being strong in Southeast Asia with TikTok making big push in Southeast Asia. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's making the environment, you know, 
pushing live stream and the adoption of consumer like live stream time spent on TikTok. These are things that we that we see um, in Southeast Asia and that kind of uh, gamification of, of the purchasing experience as well. Um, by compared to Japan, where we are also present, uh, Japan is is definitely le- less innovative, less gamified, less advanced in terms of social commerce integration. Uh, reasons being, right, so one, older target demographic, two, uh, the space, so Rakuten being kind of the leading e-commerce platform, being, own, being owned and being managed by, let's say, a little bit more mature uh, Japanese men, like businessmen and so on. So not necessarily super innovation driven. Uh, that that has been lacking a little bit. We did see right now with the push of Amazon into into uh, into Japan and kind of a push into Shopify, like direct to consumer website into Japan, uh, kind of shift happening over the last two years. So it's it's going to take a few years to really catch up. But I would say that's a space that uh, social like traditional e-commerce is still stronger versus social e-commerce if we compare to. What we see in the West, right? I think the biggest difference, and I was, you know, when we talk about social commerce, we can classify and where the product discovery happened. So the product discovery shift has also happened in North America and in Europe, where a lot more product discovery happened on social, happened on TikTok. The conversion doesn't happen on the platform because of, historically speaking, the consumer have trust in Amazon and also have trust in D2C website. So there's not much ad value that the social platform can bring necessarily into, into conversion uh, versus what they can bring in terms of, you know, uh, uh, consumer safety, confidence, and so on, and, and maybe Asian market. So the transactions still happen often on website or on Amazon, but the product discovery which to me is probably as a marketer, the most important, right? Where you discover the product, where you discover the story uh, happening a lot on social commerce. So we've seen kind of media budget shift, even search to an extent, right? Search really in China, search has always happened on social. Uh, Search now is happening much more on Douyin. So people searching for recommendations, just keyword search, and there's great tools. So right now, right, I was reading data from a couple of weeks ago that, Search on Douyin has now surpassed search on Google, right? For for Gen Z in the US, so that just gives you like the power. People are searching more for for uh, anything that they're interested in, whether it's restaurants, whether it's something around them, and so on. Services and products on TikTok versus uh, Google. Growing a company is hard. Doing it in a foreign market, exponentially so. The best piece of advice I can give you is not to do it alone. When you start looking at the Asia-Pacific region for further expansion possibilities, and I sincerely hope you do, make sure you choose the right partners to do it with. My good friends at WPIC Marketing and Technologies have almost 20 years of experience helping brands, just like yours, enter China, Japan, and Southeast Asia. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Negotiation, and if you're interested in being a guest or want to connect with me or any of our team, please reach out to us at podcast at WPIC.co, and be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.